Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. <laughs> Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Now, from BetQL, it's time for the Daily Tip with Michael Jenkins. Dang it, he's talented. And let's be honest, I go for ambition, not luck. And Chelsea Messenger. Don't kill the messenger, or the messenger will kill you. Hey, Dad, don't forget about me, the dunkster. Presented by BetMGM. Good morning, betters. It's time to rise and shine because although it's a Monday, which we don't like, it's actually one of the best Mondays of the entire year because a national champion will be crowned tonight in college football. In 20 minutes, we'll be dissecting the national championship matchup between Washington and Michigan. Will we get a close game? The line thinks so, uh, but we'll dive into our best bets there. But in this segment, we've got to analyze the weekend that was in the NFL and and FCS because we've got some great candidates for MVP Monday. Then at 7.40, a little later in the show, we'll get on to the NBA, our best plays in the association tonight, including our read on the Celtics and the Pacers. Jenks, does it make you sad that college football only has one more game left this year? Yes. I'm extremely sad. I live for college football. <laughs> and now I'm going to go into my little show until what august whatever first of september and i'm going to be in a bad mood for months college football is my favorite sport and now i'll be relegated to following the portal or ooh, look at this recruiting class looks like these off-season workouts are going well and so like when i used to cover otas in the nfl because people love the nfl to follow anything that happens in the nfl i'm like oh organized team activities it's so exciting otas who doesn't love a good OTA? Same thing with college football. Oh, spring workouts. Ooh, spring game. I mean, it's sort of exciting, but not really. So to answer your question, yes. I, I sound bitter. Ooh, it's message board season. Isn't that <laughs> the right. only good part of the off season? Is that that's when the message boards and Reddit, that's oh, when yeah. those take center stage. Because there's a lot of assuming, especially when it comes to new college football players. And now we've gotten to the point where nobody's new anymore. Like we'll see, <laughs> you know, the musical chairs of quarterbacks where each quarterback makes 
you know, a half step left uh, to the next new school. We're like, oh, well, he's at his fifth school. Can't wait to see 27 year old DJU uh, take his talent <laughs> to somewhere else. Uh, but I feel like of the off seasons, college football is not one that I follow that closely. Am I making a mistake? Should I be following the off season of college football? Mm, I don't know. I feel like no. I don't feel like you should. Because you're a baseball gal. You know a ton about baseball. There's always stuff to be following. And also, I will say that I feel like if you... I would love for you to follow NC State's offseason. But I feel like you would start and then you'd be like, I don't want to do this. I've been let down too many times. I'm not getting my hopes up. Because that's what always gets you. When you follow the offseason, look, it's all fresh for everyone, right? Everyone gets a fresh start, and you start drinking the Kool-Aid. Ooh, we're going to be good this year. We got this class coming in. We have experience. These guys are coming in off the portal. So you get all your hopes up, and then ultimately you're let down. This is the first season I haven't been let down in a decade, and that's not an exaggeration. Yeah, uh, Texas feels like they're back. I know some people were crashed say, oh, Texas is not back. What's the definition of being back? They went to the college football playoff. Feels to me like Texas is officially back. But I will say as far as NC State goes, I think next up for me is I'm following their basketball season. We did watch a little of their basketball game on Saturday night. Uh, A big win for NC State at home over Virginia. So maybe that's where my positivity needs to go uh, with my NC State Wolfpack and their basketball season. Uh, But speaking of sadness, we're going to do MVP Mm -hmm. Monday here in like a few seconds. (sighs) I got uncontrollably sad when people keep telling me this could possibly be the last year for Derrick Henry as a Titan. And I feel like I have been so knee deep in sports betting that I haven't kind of taken a look around me and seen that, wait, what? Derrick Henry (laughs) could be leaving? No. No. I didn't even know. <laughs> I hadn't. You have not mentioned this. I hadn't read about it. And so he went off yesterday, as you know. And I was like, wow, strong finish to the season. And the announcer was like, and what could be his final game in a Titans uniform? I'm like, really? I had no idea. I Sounds like you didn't know either. I had little inklings of it, but I chose not mm-hmm. to believe it. Like, you know, when you really don't want something to be true, you're like, nah, that's just a rumor, right? And then he did yeah. like a tearful goodbye like speech at the end. I'm like, oh no. oh no. Like this is not trending well for me. So we'll do MVP Monday, but just know I may be a little bit more emotional talking about <laughs> Derrick Henry than I should be. So David, Fair let's enough. bring in the candidates. Here are your nominees for Monday MVP. 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 First off, Chelsea, I would actually be paying attention to the women's basketball team from NC State who were ranked oh, number we're always three good. in the nation. Oh, yeah, but we've been good. Uh, just so the NCAA can run all over us again. Hey, Matt remembers <laughs> this. When NC State women's basketball was having a great season and we were the higher seed in the NCAA tournament. Oh, we're going to have you guys play UConn? At stores, Connecticut. Mm, feels like that would have been a home court advantage for the lower seated team. 
Like NC State should have had a better matchup there. And I feel like huh. you know how that one went. So excuse me while I still feel very cynical about all NC State sports. I love the conspiracy theories always. But considering that, let's get to the nominees this week. Nominee number one, Nico Collins, Houston, Texas. As Stroud, little play action to start. Good protection. Airs it out for Collins. He's got it. One play, touchdown, Texans. 75 yards to start the night. Collins caught nine passes for 195 yards and a score as the Texans knocked off the Colts on the road to clinch the AFC playoff spot for the first time since 2019. Collins finished the regular season with nearly 1,300 yards and eight touchdowns, both career highs. Nominee number two, Derrick Henry, Tennessee Titans. Burks in motion. Henry the call. Henry carried 19 times for 153 yards and a score as the Titans knocked off Jacksonville and knocked them out of the playoffs with a 28 to 20 win. Henry went for a thousand yards for the season, rushing for over a hundred yards for just the fourth time this season. Nominee number three, Mark Gronowski. From the 10, we'll fake it to Davis. There goes Gronowski with a cut across the goal line for the touchdown. Four-man front for the Grizz. There was movement. No penalty marker. In zone. Yorkie. And this time, hauls it in for the touchdown. Gronowski threw for a touchdown and ran for another score as South Dakota State won their 29th straight game and claimed the football championship subdivision title for the second consecutive year. The Jackrabbits knocked off Montana 23 to three to close out the season at a perfect 15 and O nominee. Number four, Josh Allen. Fake the give over the top of the front into the air. Sure. Field dragged his feet. Touchdown. <laughs> Ruled a Touchdown. Second and goal. Look in motion. Allen throws. It's caught to the end zone. Knox. Buffalo takes the lead. Allen overcame two early touch or two early interceptions to lead the Bills to a 21-14 win over the Dolphins. With the victory, Buffalo wins the AFC East and grabs the number two seed in the playoffs. Allen finished the day with 359 yards passing and two touchdowns, as well as leading the Bills in rushing with 15 carries for 67 yards. Jenks, who is Mm. your Monday MVP? Mark Gronowski. That's right. If you can't give some love to South Dakota State today, when can you do it? The pride of Brookings, South Dakota. And if I remember correctly... I need to double check this, but I believe Mark Gronowski is a player who a couple of years ago was the quarterback of this team and suffered a really serious season ending injury. And so what does he do? 
He comes back from that injury, and now he's won two straight consecutive titles for South Dakota State. How can you not back the Jackrabbits? Let's go. They knocked off the Grizz. And this poor guy probably has to deal with, oh, it's, it's, are you one of the Gronkowski brothers? No, it's Gronowski, not Gronkowski, Gronowski. I bet he hears that at least once a day. For that alone, give it to South Dakota State and Mark Gronowski. Great quarterback, great job leading the Jackrabbits to a win. All right, so it should be no surprise who I'm taking for MVP Monday after the spiel that I did before we started the segment. I'm going to give it to Derrick Henry. I think it's not just the on-field performance because he had a great day, 153 yards, a touchdown uh, for the Titans in a win that didn't really mean a lot. But the fact that this could be his last game in a Titans uniform and the fact that he spent a good chunk of his uh, post-game presser thanking every single person on the Titan staff, even the security guards, even the helpers in the kitchen, even the guy that gets him his avocados each day. I think it goes to show the type of person that Derrick Henry is. And when you have a player that is the face of your franchise, I think it's really rare to find somebody who is as humble as Derrick Henry is. This is a guy that rushed for 2,000 yards in a season. He could be brash. He could be cocky. He could be doing all these things and getting in trouble off the field, and he doesn't. So I feel like I am taking this chance to thank the king, Derrick Henry, for his time in Tennessee. And also for the people saying, well, you know, he's overrated, whatever, he got a ton of touches. I saw a stat somewhere where he is hit behind the line of scrimmage more than any other running back in the NFL. He is played behind a terrible offensive line. So if he goes somewhere else with a better offensive line, I think he could be even better. And isn't that the true sign of love? If you love somebody enough to (laughs) let them go to a better situation. So that's why I'm feeling for Derrick Henry. Go somewhere else. Be a star. We're all rooting for you, but I'm going to be sad about it. So MVP of the weekend for me has to go to King Henry. I can't remember the last time we've had three different MVPs for MVP Monday, but I'm going with the guy that made the biggest difference in the biggest game of the weekend, and that's Nico Collins. Play Ooh. First play of the offensive series for the Houston Texas 70, Texans, 75-yard bomb that's just dropped into his lap beautifully by C.J. Stroud, and it was off to the races from there. 195 yards in a game where they had to win to make the playoffs. What a performance. What a game. Nico Collins, MVP Monday. I think all three, you know, were viable candidates. I am never a homer on this show. I feel like you've heard me talk about NC State. Like, it takes a lot for me to, like, choose my teams and choose my players. So, like, this is the one time where I'm going to do that. Because, obviously, Derrick Henry was playing in a game that didn't mean anything. Maybe to the teams that, you know, were rooting for the Titans to knock out the Jaguars. But still, all these guys had great performances. But if you give it to Nico Collins, wouldn't you have to do, like, a slight aside to C.J. Stroud as well? Because C.J. Stroud had a great game, too. What was he, 20 of 26? A great performance by a rookie quarterback in a big moment. And even guys who aren't rookie quarterbacks. Look at Trevor Lawrence. He didn't look that good. They needed to win that game. Also, I didn't realize 
which I couldn't believe they went for it on fourth down. I didn't realize that they had a different call set up on that fourth down that they didn't get at the one-yard line, and Trevor Lawrence switched the call at the line and went for the quarterback sneak instead, and he was not close. But they called a different play, and Trevor Lawrence decided based on how the Titans lined up that he would go for it, and whoo, he said, oh, it's unfortunate. It really is. I, I didn't like them going for it in that spot, but didn't work out. Great job by Tennessee. Great job by your Titans. Well, I guess. I mean, we had no business winning that game. Although, as you can tell, I am partial to sending out King Henry on a high note, even though I haven't fully accepted that he's leaving. Like, maybe he'll stay, but I do feel bad for him. Behind that offensive line, I wouldn't want to stay either. And he is not, you know, he's not chained to us. Whatever. It makes me sad. Uh, How about raising our spirits with a little national title talk? We've got a great one brewing tonight between Washington and Michigan. Or do we? We'll talk that next on the Daily Tip presented by BetMGM. Chelsea and Jenks will be right back on the Daily Tip presented by BetMGM. On the BetQL Network. Welcome back to the Daily Tip presented by Bet MGM with Michael Jenkins and Chelsea Messenger on the Bet QL Network. Whew. We're back on a Monday, January the 8th, here on the Daily Tip. Jenks, I'm feeling kind of anxious here because okay. we are a sports betting show. And when it comes to the marquee games, people want a side. I have a play for today, but it's on Mm -hmm. like Southern and college basketball. People don't want to hear about that. People don't care about value. They want to play in the biggest game of the year. And I'm not going to lie. I feel super nervous giving out a side here for Washington and Michigan. So do you think it's cowardly if I, you know, don't make this one of my best bets? I sure do. It's very cowardly (laughs) of you. Very cowardly. You need to do it. It's the national championship, Chelsea. Everyone's going to be expecting from you in particular a pick here. What does Chelsea think? What side is she on? Oh, oh, she likes Southern tonight? Imagine the letdown. <laughs> Are they Imagine even Imagine the letdown. Wait, Southern, what, Southern basketball? What? Even though I will say your these mid-major picks of yours have been fantastic. So I cannot knock you. I can't knock the hustle because you've been crushing it. But also, I feel like you, Bet and Gal, are going to be expected to give some sort of pick here, whatever it is. Well, we're definitely going to talk about it. It's just mm-hmm. I think I need to be transparent because this is the other thing. If you work in the sports betting industry and we are talking about people's money here, I want yeah. to be 100% honest and say, you know, if I don't 100% love something – I want to make that clear. So just going into this analysis of Washington and Michigan, just know that I feel like this game could really go either way. Like I am leaning towards Washington and the points just because from a trend perspective and from a market perspective, when you see a team like Washington who has been defying the market all season long, a team that's kind of been flying under the radar, but yet here they are undefeated It feels to me when you're getting over a field goal with that kind of team, especially a team that Mm -hmm. can play from behind, because that's the other thing. When you take the points with an underdog, when it's over a field goal, you are looking for a team 
that can get you a backdoor cover. And I think with a passing offense, like what we see from Washington, I think that is a good recipe for covering the number. But I don't feel great about it. So I just thought that I would give that little Surgeon okay. General's warning before we went huh. into this. Look, it's not an easy game to handicap. I will be on Michigan. I believe that Michigan will win this game. I believe that Michigan will cover this number. I've been talking about it enough where I'm probably going to have to place a bet on it too. But I, it's just kind of a dead number. It's kind of sitting there at four and a half, and it hasn't moved at all. And what I think is interesting is, at least for someone who likes Michigan, is that I see so many people taking Washington in the points, so many people taking Washington in the points, and that number just sits there. It won't move. You would think, and I, 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 the majority of betters that I see, everyone says, oh, you got to grab the points in the Huskies. you got to grab the points in the Huskies. Then why isn't this number moving? Because it's not. It's just sitting there. I'm going to stick with Michigan. I've said this for weeks. Michigan is the number one team in the country. Now, obviously, they're ranked that way. But when we were having this debate a few weeks ago, who is the number one team? Who's the top team in the country? I think it's Michigan because they dominate the line of scrimmage. And I think it's Michigan because they have a defense to shut you down. When you're talking about Washington, you're not going to shut down Washington. Michael Penix will get his. That offense will get theirs. And I also understand how good that Washington offensive line is. Best offensive line in the country. They were awarded that. But Texas almost beat Washington at the end of that game. And Texas got zero pressure. I'm so disappointed in how the Longhorns approached this game. They just, they didn't stunt. They didn't twist. They didn't blitz. I just said, all right, we'll just bull rush four guys. So you're just going to let Michael Penix sit back in the pocket? I believe of all the games he played this year, he had the third most time in the pocket that he'd had all season long in the Sugar Bowl against Texas. Of course he will crush you. Michigan will not allow Michael Penix Jr. to do that. And you're not going to stop him, but I think they slow him down enough and they are physical enough in the trenches to pull away late in the fourth. Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Well, here's my rebuttal to that is, okay, mm -hmm. nobody's getting pressure on Michael Penix Jr. Are we not yeah. giving enough credit to the Washington offensive line? Because when I first started looking at this game, I thought to myself, okay, Michigan's the way better offensive line. This is a team that's going to dominate in the trenches. But guess who won the Outland Trophy for the best offensive line in college football? 
that would be the Washington Huskies. So maybe this is a team that we're not giving enough credit for. I think you're correct in the fact that maybe Texas wasn't trying enough and they didn't bring pressure enough to even try to slow down Michael Penix Jr. I do think we'll see more of that tonight. Uh, and maybe that limits Michael Penix Jr.'s ability to be effective. But mm-hmm. still, I feel like when you have a solid quarterback with good instincts, because even when pressure comes on Michael Penix Jr., he's pretty smart. He's pretty good at evading yeah. you know, pressure. And even though he's not a dual threat quarterback, he's pretty shifty on his feet. So when you have a good quarterback back like that, and you also have multiple NFL caliber receivers that Washington has, what is the only comp that we have for uh, Michigan defending number one receivers? It was Marvin Harrison Jr. who went off for Ohio State, had over 100 yards receiving. But I will say, Ohio State lost the football game. But their quarterback is not Michael Penix Jr. I was thinking about this. Dating back to last season, the last time that Michigan has faced a really good quarterback, they beat C.J. Stroud, didn't they? Like, I know this is two different teams, but I'm just looking for comps here. And that's the only one I can think of. I mean, I don't know who you can compare him to, but he is certainly in a class by himself. I, he's just a different quarterback. I, I Maybe it's C.J. Stroud. I'm not quite sure. And the weapons he has to work with on that Huskies offense are about as dangerous as it gets. He has NFL receiver after NFL receiver. I'm not... I'm not worried about Washington scoring. Washington will score. If I'm if I'm Washington, I'm worried about stopping Michigan with your defense that is ranked, what, 94th in the country? Because Michigan is going to hit you in the mouth. And they're going to say, stop us. And by the way, one of the things that Texas got away from, which I think was a flaw on their part, Texas was running the ball on Washington. And Sark kind of got too cute and decided, well, not only did Texas fumble the ball twice, but he sort of forced the passing game when they were getting yardage in chunks against the Huskies. So I think Michigan, who runs the ball as well as anyone, were able to get those yardage in chunks. And then J.J. McCarthy can do his thing. I just worry about my issue is not with Washington not scoring. Again, they're going to score. My issue is, can Washington stop Michigan? And again, I keep going back to that Texas game. Texas should not have been in that game. The only reason why they were in that game is because of the Washington defense or lack thereof. So I I just believe that over time, over the course of the game, Michigan will get enough stops to cover the number. Let's take a, a brief pause to talk about some line movement because we did see this line go to five and a half briefly yesterday. I was looking at this line. It went to five and a half. Now it's back down to four and a half. But there is juice If you are taking Michigan, it's minus 115 on the minus four and a half side, Mm -hmm. which means it's closer to five than it is, you know, going back down to four. So it feels like we are seeing, you know, money coming in on Michigan. I do think the majority of the bets are on Washington, but when it comes to handle, usually that is a signal that the big money is on Michigan. And then we'll talk about the total for just a second if you choose to go that route. I do feel mm-hmm. like the total and the side is correlated. If you think this is a shootout, I think Washington's definitely in this game because it means their offense is working mm-hmm. and it means that they probably have a shot at winning this game. Uh, so this one started at 54 and a half, I believe. Now it's all the way up to 56 and a half. But if you like Michigan and if you think they can control the tempo here, 
and run the ball effectively, it feels like they will have a lot of long sustained drives. So I think if you like Michigan, you consider the under, although maybe the sabotage factor would be Washington's playing from hind. They will try to score quickly. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, you know, if Michigan's winning, it means that Washington's not getting much going on that offense. Do you have a feeling on a total here? Well, I think you're right in that it depends on what side you're on, right? So I'm a Michigan. I like the under. So I don't. Michigan is not going to get into a shootout with Washington or anyone else for that matter. Michigan just lines up, and sometimes they're boring, and they just hit you in the mouth, and they say, all right, we're going to force our run game on you with Blake Corum, and then when we can't, we'll let McCarthy do his thing, and that's our running end games. And it's not nothing exciting about it. That's just what we do. And I, And I do think that that is part of the handicap. And I was asking Chris Mack about this. I know I mentioned it on this show, is that Washington, without question, is the more exciting team. If you want to watch exciting football, watch that Washington offense. I mean, who wants to watch Michigan, compared to Washington, grind out a game and then slowly blow someone out 31-7 when you can watch Penix just go off and throw dime after dime after dime to his NFL receivers who are playing in college. So if you're talking about the eye test, even if it's even if it's in your subconscious a little bit, when you think about Washington, what do you what's the first thing that comes to mind? Them slinging it around and it's so exciting. Like who's going to stop these guys? You don't think that when you think of Michigan. You think of Jim Harbaugh on the sidelines with his khakis and like, "Oh, Michigan won." They just kind of grind it out and they win. They've won every single game this season by at least six points, including against Ohio State. And Ohio State had a top-five defense. Michigan got it done against a top-five defense. What are they going to do against a defense that is just inside the top 100 in college football? So I think that has a lot to do with it, too. The eye test, your eyes can fool you. And and honestly, it kind of reminds me of TCU last year. I We're not going to see a blowout. I don't expect that. But TCU was a covering machine last year. Covered, 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 covered. They were 14-point dogs against Georgia, and then everyone's on TCU. That's all they do. They cover, and they they, they absolutely keep this within the number. They get blown out. I don't expect that sort of game, but I think I see some similarities here where everyone's going to be on the team that is not a Cinderella, but is the underdog that is getting a lot of points here, and I think Michigan is still the better side. Well, the difference there, obviously, and I think you know this, is that TCU didn't have an NFL-caliber quarterback. Like, Max Duggan is not the same thing as Michael Penix Jr. And I think this is the difference, that even though Michigan has a very strong secondary, when you have receivers like this, it doesn't seem to matter. You saw some of those catches in the Sugar Bowl. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter how you defended those wide receivers. The passes were so spot on. And the receivers were making such good catches that it was, you know, it was impossible to defend some of those plays. The other thing is, it feels like Washington was super ready for the moment. And maybe it's Mm -hmm. because the pressure's not on them nearly as much. Meanwhile, it feels like the spotlight has been on Michigan all season long. This is a team that kind of looks shaky Mm -hmm. to start the Rose Bowl. And maybe it's a little different in this game. Maybe now that they've got that win uh, crossed off in overtime. But I don't know. I think as a betting gal, it's very hard for me to look at the market 
on Washington and say, okay, well, you know, this is a team that's been undervalued all season long. If you look at three of their last four games, they were getting points in three of their last four games, and they won all those outright. Even as 10-point dogs against Oregon, which that line had no business being 10, but still, when you see a team that's undervalued, it's hard for me to not see that and not take the point. So I'll be on Washington begrudgingly. That's going to be my gut feeling, but uh, we'll see. I think this is going to be a great game. I think we will see a lot of drama here. Do you think this is a one-score game? I like Michigan by touchdown. And when you look at Michigan versus Alabama, everyone's on Bama. What do we hear? Oh, it's Nick Saban. And look, it went, it went down to the end. I understand that, but that's what happens in the semifinal. It comes down. The Texas-Washington game went down to the final possession of the game. Texas could have won that game. They completed a pass. We're talking about Texas right now. So that's what happens in these semifinals. You find a way to win. And all I heard was Jalen Milrow, Jalen Milrow, Jalen Milrow, Nick Saban, Nick Saban, Nick Saban, Michigan found away. So these games are always this close, or can be, because we're getting down to the very end. These are the best teams in the country. So you can absolutely make a case for Washington. I get it. I hope Washington wins. I would love to say that my Longhorns got beat by the national champions. But the more I look at it, the more I think it's a trap. I'm going to go with Michigan. And I've taught myself into this bet so much, now I have to make it. Yeah, I don't think it's going to be one of my best bets. Uh, I think that I can't go against my gut, which is Washington. Like, maybe it's a Mm -hmm. no play for me, but I just can't go against it because I think we could talk all day about this game. And I think I, like, go back to the Jalen Milrow thing. They forced Jalen Milrow to beat them, and Jalen Milrow is not the passer that Michael Penix Jr. is. So I can't wait to watch it. I can't wait to see who wins. I can't wait to see who covers. But one thing is for sure. I will not be rooting for old khaki pants. I'm not a huge Harbaugh <laughs> fan. Uh, we'll see. All right, coming back from the break, it is time to talk NBA. Some games popping off in the association tonight that maybe you can make some money on if you don't want to bet on the national championship. That's next on the Daily Tote presented by BetMGM. Chelsea and Jenks will be right back on the Daily Tip presented by BetMGM on the BetQL Network. Let's get back to the Daily Tip with Chelsea Messenger and Michael Jenkins presented by BetMGM on the BetQL Network. Ah. And rolling in hour two of the Daily Tip. In just a few minutes, we'll break down the NBA. The games on the slate tonight, the games that you need to bet on, the games that you need to stay away from. But as I'm refreshing my Twitter, I am seeing Mm -hmm. pictures of Bill Belichick at his press conference this morning. Of course, everybody is anxiously awaiting to hear the legendary head coach's, you know, tenure in New England. I think a lot of people are waiting for him to get fired because as if January didn't suck enough, today is also quote unquote Black Monday where NFL head coaches usually get fired. But I'm looking at this picture and Bill Belichick never looks chipper. Like I'm never going to say that, but you see this picture like, oh my God, it looks like this guy's been on a bender. He has on this <laughs> dress shirt that's like unbuttoned a few buttons. He never yeah. looks happy which also adds to the effect, you know, that's just kind of the look that Bill Belichick gives. 
But how do you think he's feeling right now? Do you think he is conflicted to, you know, he doesn't seem like an emotional guy to me, but whenever the end comes for something in which you were very successful at, and Mm -hmm. that is his run in New England, how do you think his mentals are doing right now? Probably not well. It's a difficult thing to accept when your time has come to an end and you've had so much success. Bill Belichick is one of the greatest head coaches in the history of the National Football League. That is no small feat. It is very difficult to have success at a sustained level in the NFL. He's as good as it gets. And of course, in your mind, if you're a competitor, especially if you're a football guy, you always want to believe you can do it. Same thing for athletes. I'm always fascinated by athletes at the end of their careers that end up playing somewhere else. I mean, you can go down the list of players, very famous players in every sport, and you associate them with one team. But at the end of their careers, like Jerry Rice is a good example. I mean, there's a ton of examples. You can go down Mm -hmm. the list. Jerry Rice played for like three different teams after the Niners. He was Seahawks for a while, Broncos for a while. Joe Namath ended up a Ram. Earl Campbell played for the Saints. Emmitt Smith played for the Cardinals. You see this all Joe Montana played for the Chiefs. Guys always believe, I've got another year. I've got another chance to get this done, which is why it's so remarkable that Tom Brady won a Super Bowl with the Bucs because that just never happens. But Bill Belichick is in a place where this is, he's trying to reconcile, right? Look at what I've done in my entire career versus what has happened lately. And I would imagine that's why he looks like he threw on a shirt from 1993 this morning. He didn't care. And he's trying to figure things out. And there's no shame in whatever happens to him in New England. But I would imagine he's not in a good place. We definitely see this from players because nobody or it's very rare that players get to ride off into the sunset when they're on top. And a lot of it has to do with like the physicality of the NFL. Like you're not going to be 37 as a running back, you know, and still get it done unless you're who was the guy that. Uh, has a son that plays, I think, in college football now that played for the Bills forever. Is it Fred Taylor? Who am I thinking of? The really old quarter or running back. Hmm. Fred Taylor did Fred... play for a long, long yeah, time. Yeah, he did play for a long time. Is he the but one I that played know. for the Bills until he was like really old? And I think now he has a Fred... son that's playing in college football. Fred Taylor was with the Jags for a long time. I think he probably played for maybe the Bills. I'm not quite sure. Uh, Well, bottom line is you don't get to ride off into the sunset. Even Peyton Manning, who got to ride off into the sunset as a Super Bowl winner, had to do it for a second team when he played for the Denver Broncos. So it's just something that we don't see for players now, especially in this day and age. But what about for coaches? I think this is Mm -hmm. what the difficult part is for me because it's not that Bill Belichick is too old to perform. But do you think like the era of football has passed him by? Because the only comp I can make is, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe Pete Carroll. Like they've stuck by him in Seattle. And I know that's a different culture. Yeah. That's the other thing that I think goes into this is the impatience that comes with coaching and playing for a team in the New England area. You know, all the Boston teams, it just feels like, you know, there's no patience for bad teams 
So we had this discussion during the break, and I promise we'll get mm-hmm. to the NBA uh, here in a second. If you were Bill Belichick, what team would you want to go to? Because it feels like Ugh. he's not retiring. If I'm Bill Belichick, I'd just go back to the Naval Academy as some sort of assistant. He loves Navy. He grew up in Annapolis. His father coached there. And I would be a goat. I would be a legend. I mean, he's already a legend. And I would go back to the college game, help out Navy. It's something he's passionate about. And ride things out. He can do whatever he wants. Does he still have it in him to be an NFL head coach? He probably wants to because I think he wants to break Don Shula's all-time wins record. I, I think my issue with Bill Belichick is it's not his coaching. It's his talent acquisition. And early in his career, he was great at drafting. He was fantastic at bringing in castoffs from other teams and saying, come to Foxborough, we'll teach you the Patriot way, and we'll teach you how to win, and I will take the skill set that you have that can work for us, and I will implement it in a way that makes us a better football team and makes you a better football player. In recent years, he just has not done that. The draft has not been kind to him, and these are his decisions. The players he has brought in have not performed. So to me, it's not necessarily the coaching. It's not like I watch Bill Belichick and I say, he doesn't know how to coach. I say, man, where did all these bad players come from? And that is the part of it that's on him. I think maybe if you want to hire Bill Belichick, you take away that general manager title or responsibility, and you let a different person pick out the personnel. And certainly he has input, but you let him coach and just be a coach. And maybe you take some of that load off and he becomes effective. Here's another question I have. Do you think the quote unquote Patriot way is outdated? Cause this is what I keep coming back to. Um, because when, t- um, Bill Belichick was really successful, he had this culture in new England where guys mm-hmm. would come and take pay cuts. And look at Tom Brady, which, you know, he will always be intertwined with Tom Brady and saying, okay, was it Tom Brady? Was it Bill Belichick? Mm -hmm. It had to be a little of both. But you see the selflessness that Tom Brady had when he was in New England, where he would, you know, take a pay cut so they could go out and get some kind of receiver. It feels like that mindset is almost dead. You know, with guys trying to get their money and guys trying to make the most money they can – while they're in the NFL, do you think the Patriot way is dead? Well, I think the Patriot way is Bill Belichick's way because the Mm -hmm. Patriots for a long time suffered before Bill Belichick got there. They had one year in what, 86 against the Bears where they went to the Super Bowl and they got crushed. But overall, the Patriots historically, not a great franchise. Now, of course, they're considered one of the Tiffany franchises of the NFL, but that's because of Bill Belichick. So when you talk about the Patriot way, that's really the Bill Belichick way. And so, yes, I do think it's dying in that it's it certainly helps to be aligned from top to bottom. That's what makes great franchises great. Everyone is on the same page from the ownership to management to the coaches to the players, and they were all aligned, but that is because of Bill Belichick. So yeah, I think it's sort of over now. It's the end of an era. They will have to start fresh the Patriot way. They might still use that phrase, but really that's about Bill Belichick. And also you can't really employ the Patriot way if you're losing. Like nobody's going to take a pay cut to come to a team that's going to win four games a season. So it will be interesting to see the trajectory of New England throughout these dark times uh, in their seasons, I should say.
uh, Frank Gore. Frank Gore was the guy that I was looking for. Earlier in the segment, okay. when I said really old uh, running backs, Matt put it in the chat. Frank Gore, thank you, Matt. That's who I was thinking of. All right, so I promised some NBA. So we are going to do that right now. Uh, let's start with the Celtics and the Pacers. Uh, I would imagine Celtics are favorites in this one. The Pacers have been a plucky underdog. We know we can score with the – they know they can uh, score with the best of them. But the Celtics are a tough, hard-nosed defensive squad. Jenks, is there anything you're seeing in this one? All right, line's three and a half. Do you like okay. this game, or is there something else on the slate that interests you? Uh, I don't know. I handicapped all these games. I'm not crazy about it. Thank God I got an NBA win last week. I just needed one just to say I won an <laughs> NBA game. I got one. Retire. Yeah, I'm hanging it up. Got my dub in the NBA. I kind of like the Pacers here, but I don't want to bet on this. If you're ever going to fade Boston, you do have to do it on the road. They're 7-9-2 and two against the number this season. But Tyrese Halliburton continues to be a superstar. Pacers set a record the other night for assists in a game, a franchise record. He leads the NBA in assists, so he's doing a fantastic job of distributing the basketball, getting everyone else involved. Indiana 11-8 and eight against the spread this year at home. I feel like it's a short number, so everyone will be on Boston. I like the Pacers plus 3.5. Yeah, this line's come down considerably. Open at six and a half, now down to three and a half. And I think that is a nod to money coming in on Indiana, who's been a really plucky underdog, mostly against the Bucks, but still a team that can really run up the points if they are hitting their shots. I think the other interesting game today is maybe you look at the Bucks in a situation in which they haven't covered in four games. Do you think the Bucks can right the ship tonight? against the lowly Utah Jazz, who I will say have been playing better, you know, as of late. It's a nine-point line for the Bucks at home. I think the Jazz are fool's gold. I said that last week because they had that really impressive stretch and everyone was saying, look at the Jazz, look at the Jazz. And, yeah, they played the Pistons twice. They played the Spurs. Then they beat the 76ers on Saturday. But the MVP, Joel Embiid, was out for Philly. So he didn't play in that game, and Philly has not been good this season whenever Joel Embiid is out of the lineup. So whenever I see the Jazz playing well, I always feel like there's an asterisk there. Like, yeah, they're playing well, but who are they playing? And they're playing teams and winning against teams who don't have their best players in the lineup. This, is like, this line seems way too big, which is one of the reasons why I kind of like it. seems a little sneaky. I like the Bucks minus nine and a half here. I think I'll go with the under here because you should know that Damian Lillard is going to be out for this game. I think that does a lot to the total. And we're seeing that already. Total opened at 248, now down to 245. Damian Lillard, we know, can fill up the stat sheet on the offense, but also kind of a liability sometimes on defense. So I'll hit the under 244 and a half. Our three next on the Daily Tip, we'll break down the biggest games of Wild Card Weekend. Coming up next. For more, listen to The Daily Tip presented by BetMGM. Weekday mornings from 6 to 9 Eastern on the BetQL Network, the Odyssey app, or wherever you get your podcasts.